The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today. Hello everyone and welcome to the Echo Chamber. I'm Maya Pavinska-Sims, EMEA editor of The Homes Report and I'm joined in London today by Asad Dunner who last year founded The Unmistakables, a Marcoms agency made up of minorities, a first in the industry we think. Um, Asad was previously associate director at Weber Shamwick where he worked with the likes of HSBC, Netflix and Microsoft and is also director of communications for Pride in London which kicks off next week. Asad, welcome to the Echo Chamber. Hello Maya. Um, it's pretty muggy today in London. Um, Extremely far, muggy. Far cry from the fresh sea air on the terrace stage at Cannes last week. Down the closet. You gave your brilliantly named presentation. Well done for getting on the stage at Cannes, by the way, Thanks in year one. Much. That's quite an achievement. Why We Don't Need Another Diversity Talk was yeah, the title of that. Um, can you sum up the presentation and tell us what that experience was like? Yeah, sure. So um, first year of the business on the stage at Cannes was an amazing experience. I think a large part of what we're trying to drive as a company is rather than talking about diversity just do things about it mm-hmm. so we put a pitch in to the organizers of cam back in november and said rather than talk about it why don't we show you and um, a really good friend of mine is called shiva raichandani he's a non-binary they are a non-binary bollywood dancer and spends a lot of time trying to break the gender norms within bollywood mm-hmm. so i thought what a person to take to can and showcase how you actually do something different and change ideas and change minds rather than just talk about it. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's what we did. We took, we went out, we did it on a shoestring budget. You don't need to be a big corporate to go out to Cannes. Good um, to know. You can make it happen. And the reception was really good. Mm. We were part of an LGBTQ plus program that was new this year on the Monday afternoon out on the terrace. It was absolutely stunning. We met other agencies and businesses across the world that are doing quite similar things, similar missions. Mm. Um, and we managed to platform someone that I think the creative industry needs to see and might never have seen if yeah. we hadn't taken them out there. You, you had quite a packed audience. Um, we did. What do you think they took away from your presentation there? Um, I think entertainment was the first thing. Yeah. Seeing Shiva um, do a dance routine was great. Shiva's dance was amazing. I know, and I didn't expect until two weeks before when they said they changed the lyrics. So they took J-Ho and changed the lyrics to Hell No yeah. and talked about um, what it was like for them growing up and not seeing themselves in film. And so the people who came and spoke to me afterwards, rather than me tell you, I think they took this, they said that they they, they made... they. They thought differently about what it was and what creativity was and mm. actually what diversity was. Lots of people said it was nice to see a person of colour on the stage because there aren't very many of those that can. No, still not. And lots of people said it was nice to just see some action rather than a panel. Panels tend to be a bit like typewriters. You just watch as they move along the panel and ping, go back and talk again. Um, and that that was really good. So I'm hoping we can do more of that and take this sort of approach to the industry. Yeah. And uh, as you said, it was the first year of the LGBTQ uh, program mm. in Cannes on the Monday afternoon. What was the what was the rest of the program like? Did it did it cover what you would have wanted to see there? Um, it covered it covered the things you would expect. So there were things around pride washing, um, and I know that with my pride hat on, that there's a lot of pink washing that happens, and mm. and people 
think that slapping a rainbow on things is the way to be LGBT inclusive. So I think there was a talk around that. There was Charlie Craggs, who's an amazing um, activist and has a nail bar to talk about transphobia. Um, so I think she was there as well. There was uh, another panel hosted by someone called T. Uglo, Google in Australia, who's absolutely brilliant. So there were some familiar faces there, mm. um, all talking about issues that I don't necessarily think are new to me. What but we're probably new to people who go to Cannes and don't necessarily hear about those sorts of issues in their day-to-day. Are they going to continue that for next year, do you know? As far as I'm aware, yes. Um, I think the push for diversity has been quite a big thing. And I I wrote a piece about it on my LinkedIn yesterday about diversity and the need to move beyond talking. There was, there's a group um, called, I think it's called the Cannes Collective, and they're all about pushing diversity. And they had a stage this year called the Inkwell Beach, which was really under-promoted. Not very many people heard about it. I only heard about it um, from someone who was at my talk. And I went I went to it by accident on the Wednesday and ended up seeing Naomi Campbell. <laughs> That's sat... the very can moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I just sat there and thought, wow. And, and it turns out their whole mission is about pushing diversity yeah. more. So I think there's a big push by oh. the industry, but I'm scared that we're going to get trapped in this talking circle um well this is my concern as well because i this is was my fifth year at can and Mm -hmm. diversity and inclusion have been big themes for at least the past three or four um i'm not sure if you know when i saw five senior female and uh, differently colored cmos on stage at the ipg women's breakfast whether they really felt like their industry had moved on that much for them. Right. Do they talk about that? In that way? Um, it's. Di- it, I think it's always difficult with Cam because it's really important that it's a, a, a really high profile platform. But it's like how much do you measure whether they, the Can has moved the needle um, or contributed mm. in any positive way? I mean, obviously talking is great, but like you said, it, it it's all about action. I mean, what's your take on? Um, the content across the broader Cannes Festival this year? Because every other talk is about diversity and inclusion. I'm not sure how much Mm. talking changes stuff. What's your feeling on that? There were two things that stick out to me when you asked that question. The one is there's the wake up with The Economist that happens all all week. Oh, that's always good value. That's always really Mm. good. And the first day was um, CMOs. So Sil Sala was there, Nina Bibby, I think, from O2 was there. um, And they were talking about diversity and and you could see that the script that the moderator had was okay I've got an hour to fill I'll do 20 minutes on diversity 20 minutes CMO to CEO and I'll do 20 minutes on marketing effectiveness right and the 20 minute bit could have gone for the whole hour it didn't and they were good moderator to move it on but actually the talk was recycled right so when I asked the question of are we still going to be here in three years having the same conversation there was a point of well the talk is good but we all acknowledge we need to start seeing some mm. action. And I think Sil Salah's doing some things that are showing that she's holding agencies to account on how diverse their groups are. She's looking at the work and the advertising, seeing are we perpetuating stereotypes? Yeah. But actually, I feel like we're just going round in a circle mm. with the talk. And I'm hearing, especially from younger people, and I think this is the bit where I try to take it away from the talk and go, OK, what's the business impact? Fewer and fewer young people are coming into this industry because they're seeing it and saying, not for me, mm. Or I don't belong here. And that's where I think we need to move the conversation to say what's what's the so what of all this talk. Yeah. Well, it's business critical, isn't it? It is. It's talent 100%, critical. 100%. We can't carry on where we've got an industry that's 90% when the UK at least. 92%. 92% yeah, identify as white. About the same have degrees. Mm-hmm. About 80 odd percent are actually 
privately educated. Yeah. So, yeah, we can't go on like that. Um, there's a lot of chat this year. There was the big Unilever yeah. talk about woke washing. Yeah, this I, year. Was, I was reading David's um, point on that. Which was, I think, was a real moment, you know, a real line in the sand for Unilever this year saying they won't even uh, entertain working with agencies who are even going to take a brief that's clearly. Um, you know, PC for the sake of it, for want of a better expression. How do brands make sure they're not doing that, though, even unconsciously? So I take a little bit of umbrage to what Unilever said. Okay, do um, tell. Because I think working, because the the other thing they said was we're we're putting all of our work into holding groups and we're trying to focus our agency relationships on yeah, big groups. They've been but doing that for a while now, yeah. When you look at, the, those agencies and the larger ones, they really struggle on doing purpose-related work, just on how they geared up, in my experience, mm. and from the way I see things. And I think it becomes really easy and lazy for creatives in those big agencies to go, well, we'll just try that and we'll take a little bit of diversity, sprinkle it on and make it look good. And that's where I think the big problem is in the industry, because we just don't know how to do it. And mm. PR especially doesn't turn briefs down or doesn't turn briefs down as much. I think ad agencies used to do that, but ad agencies are thinking, we need to be more PR now, we need to be more PR savvy. Yeah. But again, the, the margins that people are trying to hit means they don't have the luxury of turning work down. Um, and that's that's how I'm seeing things, that we're not able to hold a backbone to it and say, we just don't want to do that work. Um, and I think what I see through Pride shows me a lot of how people just try to think they know they're, what they're doing right. is right, and then they skip five steps and it comes out as tone I'm, I'm told you're not allowed to say tone deaf because that's actually um, offensive to people who have hearing difficulties you've got to say misjudged so okay. lots of misjudged there's a campaigns. lot of misjudgment around there right? <clears throat> yeah and I think the thing with this is, uh, as part of the broader purpose conversation is that it cannot be bolted on mm-hmm. it's got to be you have to have DNI and purpose at the core of the organisation. It can't be just like, well, there's our brand and here's how we're going to express ourselves through that lens, mm. right? So um, let's go back to why you started the agency because this is at the core of why the unmistakables exist, right? That comes back to can as well. There's a, you've got a lovely story about how how and why you first got the idea for this agency. Um, <clears throat> the, 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 the point on purpose is I was going to ask you back how many global agencies do you know and can you articulate their purpose and in terms of PR agencies in terms of PR agencies well I mean I can give you everyone's strap lines probably with a with a five minute warning but um, I don't know I, I don't know if the PR industry itself has got its head around what Per, what their what its purpose mm. is the PR industry has a has a real difficulty with articulating its purpose and justifying its existence and working out what to call itself. Yeah. Um, so I don't I don't know if you know I, I don't know if the industry can. Maybe it's easier to help others with their purpose, but shouldn't you be able to articulate yourself your your own first? You know, yeah. Same reason that PR <clears throat> agencies tend to be really actually you know, mostly quite poor at comms and marketing themselves. There's a few, you know, notable exceptions with fantastic marketing teams globally. But yeah, I mean, it's, 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 uh, I do wonder if it's the blind leading the blind sometimes. I, I think, I think you're right to say they don't know what their purpose is, but setting up a new shop like The Unmistakables has been a lot of fun because I play with A words to mm. see what lands and resonates because I love to try and, test things and when I worked for a startup before I was at Weber that's how you build a business you yeah. you put it out there you see what people say and then you come back and you refine and you iterate and 
my degree, half of it was in business, and I learned that comms was a subsect of marketing. So I always went in from that theoretical, this is how it is. And then when I went and worked for Fleischmann and then Weber, all of a sudden I thought, why is comms this silo over here that doesn't report into any kind of business line and doesn't have to report back on how that money is being spent and what it's delivering to the business? So when I set up the Unmistakables, I thought, okay, do we call ourselves a marketing agency? Do we sell, call ourselves a comms agency? Do, I, do we call ourselves an agency or a consultancy? Oh. And, and I just play with it because I think... What we do, and I'm learning through the work that we're doing, is high-level consulting. And the problem we're trying to fix is one that sits at the C-suite, which is how do we make our organisation more reflective and representative of society? There's no senior business leader that doesn't want to do that right now. From there, I don't care where the budget comes from, but we will work out how we fix that problem. Mm. So the idea for your original question, the idea for the agency came back when I was at, at Weber. And I thought... I was getting briefs in from clients saying, how do we understand, insert protected characteristic here. So how do we understand the LGBT community? And that heightened when I um, started volunteering for Pride. Then people would say, how do we understand the BAME, so the Black Asian Minority Ethnicity category or industry? Then people, I actually had a brief where someone said, how do we understand BAME LGBT people? And I thought, okay, first of all, the labelling is really problematic here mm. because I never went into the world going, I am a BAME LGBT person. I was no. like, I'm just a British Indian who grew up in North London. That that was it, as the extent of my identity. And I thought when I took those briefs and I was carrying them because I always straddled account handling and creative, so mm. I'd take them into creative and and we didn't know how to fulfil them. And I thought, okay, there's something here. There's I know that there's money here to be had with my business hat on. But also with the work, I knew that there was good work to be done. Um, so I thought about it for a very long time and I took it to um, some very close friends of mine. And some said, well, why don't you just set this up yourself? Wouldn't that be A, a lot more fulfilling, um, but B, you'll stretch yourself. And if it all goes wrong, you're still young, you get a job at an agency. And I thought, OK, I'll, I'll give it a go. So I took private investment at the end of last year, um, which was great, allowed us to get off the ground. And we, since then, have just touched wood, been growing and growing. And it's we're, fo- we're focused on this purpose, which is making organisations more representative society. That is what drives me and that's what gets me up every day. Mm. And then through that, what I'm learning is, and I think I mentioned to you before, I'm like the Pied Piper of people in this industry that think, I don't want to be here or in the structure that I'm currently in. Yeah. So then when I look at the people who work for me, I've got three people and I've got a fourth joining in two weeks. And one of them is uh, a mum of two, wants more flexibility around work, but also wants to use everything that she's learned in the last decade for something with a bit more meaning. I've got uh, someone who is LGBT, graduated a little bit later, never really contemplated marketing, but is amazing at design. Um, I've got someone who is, believe it or not, Generation Z. So I don't have to talk about Generation Z. I just give her the microphone. An actual very young person. An actual very young person (laughs) who has done a 10,000 word um, thesis on intersectionality. Um, Wow. And that you just think I, I, I love I love working with Leica because she comes at things with such a refreshing and passionate tone. And having that in a business makes me think, Okay, we've if we keep going towards this purpose, we'll attract the right people along the way. So um, 
What happened at Cannes last year? You texted somebody while they were actually on the stage. Is that right? That was two years ago, yeah. So I went to Cannes in 2017 for the first time with Weber, and I'm still massively grateful to Weber for sending me. And I was sat there, and um, there's someone called Paul Venables. He runs Venables and Ball in America. And he was giving a talk, and the talk was called Why Independence is the Key to Creativity. And he brought on um, two people. I forgot the second, but the first was a band called Sophie Tucker. And I just discovered Sophie Tucker before that talk, so they were in my consciousness. And they came on and said, we wanted to sing in Portuguese. And all of the agents and record labels says, why do you want to do that? So because we like Portuguese, but you're not Portuguese and Portuguese market's really small. And they said, we don't care. We just want to do it. And none of the record labels took them. So they ended up doing it independently. And now they're hugely successful. And Paul runs an independent agency and he showed some work. They'd done some amazing work, I think, for Audi and for, I think, the US military. And when he was sad, I just thought, you know what? He's convinced me that I need to get out of the big holding companies Mm -hmm and go and do this. And so I just emailed him and said, I'm sitting watching your talk. I, I found his email address online and said, I'm watching your talk, um, and you convinced me that I need to do this. And I didn't think he'd reply. I just thought, I'll do it. Because when you give talks like that, you never there's no feedback mechanism. No. You have to kind of re- convince yourself that it was good. Yeah. So I, I knew that, but I didn't think he'd reply. And then he replied two hours later as I was on, in the cab on the way back, and he said, I'm just about to take off and you've got to do it if you ever want to have a Skype call let's do it and then a couple of weeks later I was at home having a Skype call with Paul who said this is how I did it and this is what you need to watch out for and fantastic yeah it's amazing the independent agency landscape is amazing and so many is it living help. up to expectations what's the what's the biggest contrast for you than the you don't have groups. the green Amex. Because <laughs> <laughs> you did great work at Weber with some amazing clients. Yeah. So this must be a, like, I mean, obviously this is, you're very much living your purpose at the moment. But um, what, what are the main points of contrast, would you say, for you? I think, so you asked about expectation. Um, I went into it thinking, oh, I went into it feeling like it was the right thing to do, mm. but not necessarily knowing and it feeling like a big risk, and it was a big risk. Um, And how it's lived up to that is, um, I probably worked harder than I've ever worked before, harder than I did at Weber, but a different kind of work. Um, I feel happier because I think I'm more aligned to what I was meant to be doing. Um, But it's it's given me a bit more freedom to think. That's the bit that um, has really opened up for me is mm. just to say well what's my opinion on this and rather than having to go through layers to get that approved is yeah. I'm just going to go out with that opinion or if we want to make a tweet to the website we'll make a tweet to the website the hardest thing I think has been doing everything so running a payroll was yeah. very new um, finding an office we're very lucky um, we work with a co-working space in Peckham and as part of our work together we get desk space and that's allowed us to grow um, all of the operational bits of buying. I just signed some leases for some new computers, and yeah. you've got you've got to you've got to do that against it's a different world. Isn't you've it? got to get your own credit <laughs> check. You can't just go down to IT and say, "Can I have a new laptop?" I had to pass a personal credit check and yeah. guarantee these PCs on my own. Um, my name. So those are the bits where I thought, well, I didn't quite realise it would be that personal. It's all on you, right? Yeah. It is. But how's it going? Who are you working with? Tell me all the exciting stuff. Um, so we've got um, a couple of projects. We've done some work with Unilever. Um, we have 
done some work with, or we're currently working with the England Cricket Board, and this is my favourite piece of work. What are you doing with them? So we, they have launched something called the South Asian Action Plan, and this is all about getting more people from South Asian backgrounds playing cricket at all levels, because cricket is an Indian uh, or has Indian roots. It's yeah. huge in India. But when you look at cricket in the UK, it doesn't match up. So that plan is all about addressing that. And so they said, how do we get more women from um, South Asian backgrounds playing cricket at a grassroots level? So we've come up with a marketing campaign and framework for them um, to help do that, which Brilliant. is all around taking their existing marketing and adapting it and saying, this is how you talk to this audience. These are the places you need to be in. Really small things like... Um, rather than say we need to run a set of Facebook ads, we know that South Asian women um, who are slightly older and maybe have a couple of kids are all over WhatsApp. So let's create all of our content within WhatsApp because okay. that's how you spread the message yeah. quicker and direct them into different places. And you wouldn't necessarily have understood that if you didn't have that cultural context within the agency. No. Mm. And then how do we tweak some of the languages so that it puts a, a, a smile in the corner of someone's mouth to go, they really get who I am and mm. what, I, what I do. So that's been great, not just because of the type of work, but because we're able to go in and challenge. It's the England Cricket Board. Yeah. Um, and it's not it's not the Netflixes of this world. And they do need some challenging. And, and we're doing that. So that, yeah, that's really great work. That is really cool. And mm. what's your ambition for the agency? I want to change the world. <laughs> um, <laughs> of course you do. I have no doubt you will. <laughs> the, um, the ambition is to grow. Um, yeah. Right now I'm looking for really great people um, to help grow and, and scale the organisation. I want to get to to become a mid-sized agency in the next couple of years. So how do you find talent? Because you've got you're you're not just you're not just kind of um, plastering a DNI policy across your recruitment strategy. This is absolutely core to to who and what the agency is. Mm. How, how where are you looking for for people? So the a lot of people talk about culture and how do you build an agency culture. So my starting point is we're made up of minorities. Mm. So I want everyone to work who works for me to understand what it's like to be in a minority. Now, the thing that I love about saying that is I think in today's climate, everyone is a minority, even straight white men are a minority in terms of what you see spoken about. So there's a viewpoint there to bring in. That's where I start. So if I have someone who comes to me and says, I really want to work for you, that's my my benchmark. And then how I find them is, um, is predominantly through word of mouth. If I think about the account manager that's joining, they've come through word of mouth from another agency. If I think about some of the younger people, that's actually come through Instagram. Um, Laika came to us because we were doing a film shoot. The film in Cannes, actually, she's oh, really? in She's in the film. Oh, cool. And she saw, a, we did a casting call and an Instagram story. She said, love to do it. As soon as I met her at the shoot, I said, come in and work with us. Yeah. Um, and then if I think about Chris, he came through The Dots. And The Dots is a great place to find very creative people. What's The Dots? The Dots is a platform set up by someone called Pip Jameson. And it's a platform for creatives to showcase their work. Okay. And it's a bit like the LinkedIn for creatives. Okay. So they allow you to, um, at the time I was looking for an intern, so they allow you to post for free. And so I found Chris through that. And that's my way. I, I don't I don't go to PR week to post and highlight for jobs because I'll get the same candidates. Mm. Um, I go to different places because mm. hopefully I can convince them that this could be an industry for them. Yeah, it's almost work. like you have to apply that diversity principle to your sourcing, mm-hmm. isn't it? <laughs> Rather than trying to look for different people in the same places. Yes. Um, let's talk a bit more about the state of diversity and inclusion in the PR industry. 
Lack thereof. Lack or that lack thereof. What's the um, what's the bigger issue, diversity or inclusion? They're the same issue. Okay. So um, there's lots of tropes out there about diversity is being asked to the party, inclusion is being asked to die. I heard so that at least three times last week. So that you disagree, Assad. Well, I, do, I I just think those tropes become really easy to okay. Um, really easy to just bandy out and go, well, so that's the problem. Why, why are you saying it's, it's, it's one issue? So the issue, as I see it, is how businesses are confronting it. So if we start from the fact of society as a whole is fundamentally changing, and that has come through bigger macro forces. So the fact that there's cheaper air travel means there's more migration. The fact there's more migration means you've got more people of lots of different um, cultures or backgrounds or ethnicities living in one place. And London is that place. Yeah. So if, you're, if you think about it through that lens, why aren't those people coming into this industry? That's your starting point. And then when you say, OK, because they lack in this industry, when we have ideas that try to resonate with that same group of people that we want to get to, mm. we can't do it because they're not in the room. Yeah. And that's why I say it's the same issue. It's fundamentally about representing and who is round the table. You can label that diversity, you can label it inclusion, you can label it belonging, whatever you want. It's fundamentally about access for people to get into spaces to make decisions okay. and about people having power through the ranks. And that these are old, old structures that need to get changed in my opinion so what can be done i mean given that the you know you can't start from so you you have the privilege and the luxury in some ways of being able to start from scratch yes, and say this is my vision this is day one this is absolute ground zero on what the agency i want to build of the future is like yeah if i've got a an agency with a couple of hundred people spread across a couple uh, you know several offices or mm -hmm. even bigger how do i make sure that i can start including some of those principles in a really real way mm -hmm. you know I don't want to see a sea of the same old same old because that's not going to lead to great creativity for my clients in the long term so how do you how do you change things what needs to be done I mean what is what's the first baby step would mm -hmm. you say to making sure that it's not just policy it's actually practice so there's there's the short term and long term so in the short term you can look at how do you undermine some of the way work gets done. So hiring is one of them. Mm -hmm. How do you make sure that the people who are making the decisions to hire aren't hiring in their own image or aren't hiring people who look exactly like them? Okay. I've been in interviews before where I've seen the hiring manager say, we should hire them. And I said, why? And said, they're just great. And I, as because as, I can see it from the outside, I said, because they look like you, they talk like you, they don't challenge you. Mm. And PR is a really nice industry. No one really likes to be challenged. So those, that's the first step of going, are we doing this? And there's, there's plasters like unconscious bias training mm -hmm. that can do the job. The bigger thing I think you need to do is say, how are we addressing this over five years? And where are we placing this in our business? So if I was the, if I was the CEO of Weber Shamwick UK or the CEO of any agency, I go, mm -hmm. am I putting diversity and inclusion within HR and making it an HR issue to fix. Yeah. Because then what it does is become really tick boxy and like a process that needs to happen. Yeah. Or am I saying, creative team, what are you doing about it? Account team, what are you doing about it? Analytics team, how are we analysing a different area mm -hmm. of the world? That's where you change the conversation. And I think I see this with some of the clients that we work with is D&I becomes an HR problem to fix rather than an asset 
to say this is how we should run our business yeah. and this is how we should think differently. And I think this is what we went through 10 years ago with digital where we said we've got head of digital over there and their job is just to think about why everyone's being more digital. <laughs> And then eventually oh, you got to a point where people were saying, it wasn't, wasn't it? I was just <laughs> thinking that. times a decade ago. <laughs> but don't happened? fall into that trap of saying, I'm going to make it someone else's problem. Yeah. This is the leader's problem to understand. I think I, I wonder if um, I wonder if that understanding that great creativity comes from intrinsically from diversity mm-hmm. is is fully understood by a lot of PR agencies. I mean, the Unstereotype Alliance is very much addressing that in the advertising industry. It is, yeah. But I don't know if that's... I don't know if there's, um, I don't know if that's there's an equivalent within PR of just making sure that every earned idea has is representative of the audience it's trying to reach. Let me give you an example. So we're working with um, this co-working space down in Peckham. Now the reason why they chose to work with us rather than another PR agency is because rather than go in and say we'll get you in time out, the Evening Standard, da da da, which is how traditional PR people operate, yeah. get coverage. We went, actually, what are you trying to achieve? And they said, well, we don't want to get into the evening standard because we're not there yet in our life cycle as a business. Mm. And actually, that's going to appeal to certain types of people. So we've got to wait for that to happen. And that's the layer I think PR sometimes lacks, which is what's my client trying to achieve and how do I help them get there versus coverage, 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 coverage. Mm. Because if you look at how people are rewarded, either through money or through recognition or just through a sense of job well done, they're still rewarded on coverage rather than doing the right thing by the client. And that's, I think, the bit where PR agencies need to try and move to that higher margin work where you can help people think rather than get people to write about you. So it's more about strategic consultancy. Yeah. Okay. What do brands get wrong in your experience most often? I mean, you had to reach a level of frustration before you (laughs) set up your own agency with this, presumably. Are there any kind of classic slip-ups where you think that just wouldn't have happened if your team was more representative of of the wider audience you're trying to reach? So what brands get wrong is, back to that point about diversity as a plaster and a crisis to fix, Mm -hmm. So they think, well, we'll be fine until it gets picked up by um, Nick Ferrari on LBC or it'll be fine until it gets picked up by Pierce Morgan. And that's where you have to have a challenging conversation up front Mm -hmm. and question who's in the room. So one of the recent examples that we've talked about a lot is Waitrose. And over Easter, they had three chocolate ducks in a box. One was called Crispy, one was called Ugly and one was called fluffy the uh, crispy one I believe was milk chocolate the fluffy one was white chocolate and the ugly one was dark chocolate so why is the ugly one black that was the tweet that went round yeah that's that's problematic it is it well it was it was problematic in two senses the first was if someone had just said hang on maybe we should just not call them those three it's okay to have a black, a milk, and a white chocolate Yeah, because that's the flavours of chocolate. Yeah, so but... why don't we just have different names? Yeah. Um, but we'll use those. The, the, the second problematic thing, and this is, this is the... Because co- I, I analysed the tweets and how the story okay. became a story. And what happened was there was a someone who I believe was not uh, British English, I think may have been European in the current guise of European, and said, what's this? Is I don't like this. And that tweet got taken out of context... And then 
waitress had to issue an apology and pull the stock. So it was a very quick cycle of news. Mm. And then the second cycle of news didn't become about the ducks. It became about the apology and what Waitrose had done. Okay. So what brands get wrong is they don't have people who are different in the process of creating the products. Yeah. And then they don't have people who are different in the crisis handling scenario yeah. to say, actually, who's offended here? Because what Waitrose could have done is taken a higher ground and say, well, isn't that ridiculous? to talk about that but they couldn't because you can just imagine the panic in the room yeah and that's where i think they get a problem because they don't put people in either the product development which is the less risky option and that's where you need to change things quickly so they almost haven't got a reality check on whether it is or isn't a crisis or where somebody's just been yeah offended offended yeah. because everyone's offended by everyone and that's why we launched the woke shop um, and i worked with ben brooks stutton to do that because... oh yeah tell me about the woke shop this is exciting so that came off the back of the waitrose bit because we then had clients come to us and say we've got this campaign and we're not quite sure how this is going to be perceived and i said well who have you spoken to are oh, we spoken to our agencies okay well who is in that agency makeup okay well they're predominantly the stats that the cipr put out yeah Okay, well, who do you think might be offended? We think these people might be offended. Okay, let's get them in a room. So the workshop became essentially a workshop to work out how your campaign might be perceived by different audiences. Mm. And it's different to ad testing because ad testing is done on a, a larger scale, but you don't know who is in the group that's testing your ad. But it's about saying, how can we have a conversation and make you, Mr. Marketer, think differently mm. about your advert before it goes out? And for me, it's been one of the best things we've done because it's difficult conversations that's all this is it's just making people think differently and look at things differently um and if i can stop doing this in five years then it means the industry's moved on yeah. but sadly it's it's not happening quick enough well it's removing the fear and adding genuine consultancy to the equation isn't it really yeah. like you know either not thinking about it in the first place or overthinking it in exactly um Tell me about where you want... We've talked about where in five years' time. <laughs> yeah. Um, where do you want the PR and creative comms industry to be in five years with relation to D&I and minorities? I would... I pray we're not talking about it in five years. Let's not have to... Should we not do this podcast <laughs> and that can chat yeah. in five years? Um, I would love to keep doing the can chat every year, <laughs> Maya. Um, I... I think the DNI chat could could move to a point where we're saying, right, we've got enough people in the industry, we're seeing that, we just now need to move them to the top. Okay. Or move us to the top. Because there's so many talented people that I see who bounce out of this industry after seven or eight years, yeah. either because they're different or because they go off and have different career paths or, or want something more from the world. I, th I think if the industry can work out how to hold those people... Mm and say, actually, there is space for you, and you can do some of the best work you'll ever do, that would be a big step forward. And and I've seen, I've seen so many people who come to me with pure frustrations to the point where I think, how are we in this position? Mm. And part of it is the mental health debate. Part of it is about the fact that this industry is slow to move because we put so much pressure on the people. But PR seems to be under more pressure than journalists in the way they operate. And I know that because I live with a journalist. Yeah, well, try being a journalist writing about PR. <laughs> That's what I'm yeah. saying. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're in that, 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 that space. And I think that's, that's where I could hope it would move forward. Um, 
but I do get to moments where I just think I just because so many agencies I see don't have a purpose. Mm. I sit there and go, well, how can you not have a purpose and then tell brands about their purpose? Yeah, it's always going to be a bit circular. Well, I I I hope desperately that you're out of business in five years. <laughs> this has yeah. all been completely resolved yeah. and you can move on We're to done. you know fishing in the Caribbean or whatever. But um, thank you very much, Asa. That was a really Karen. lovely chat. It was you did really well last week at Cannes so congratulations and thank you for joining me in the echo chamber thank you very much Maya lovely to see you you've been listening to the echo chamber brought to you by the Holmes Report and produced by Marketeers sponsored by the Bullet Group putting you in tomorrow's conversations today today